Welcome to the Pat Mayo Experience presented by DraftKings 2021 Wide Receiver Rankings and Wide Receiver Tiers. If you want to check out the entire list, hit the description right now and you will find said list. And you will find the list for the top 150 overall running backs and quarterbacks, tight ends to come a little bit later. Although, if you look at the top 150 rankings, you can probably decipher the tight end rankings from those. Plus, all of the previous tier debate shows where we break off these players into their respective tiers. I've already done running backs with Jake Seeley. I did the top 150 with Jake Seeley as well. Chris Meany and I broke down all the quarterbacks. You can find all of that right now up on Mayo Media Network. So please I was going to say describe. You don't need to describe it to anyone. Although unless you're telling them to subscribe and then you need to describe it then maybe you should describe it. But instead, just subscribe to that. Smash the like button while you're here as well. And in the comment section, give me your must-have wide receiver. And no, the answer can't be Tyreek Hill or Devontae Adams. Someone from, let's say, 15 at ADP and beyond that you are making a priority target in fantasy football drafts at wide receiver this season. Because I just want to know. I'm going to be like, man, should I be down on that guy? Everyone seems to like him. And I'll probably end up not paying attention because that's what I end up doing. But either way, I want to hear what you guys have to say about that. Subscribe to the Pat Mayo Experience audio podcast as well. And if you do have Apple Podcasts, I got bucks for you to win a giveaway that will take you less than 30 seconds to do. If you hit the description, there is a link to the Apple Podcast version of Fantasy Football Picks and Bets, a brand new show on Mayo Media Network. If you leave a subscribe to the show, obviously, on Apple Podcasts, leave a five-star review, something you enjoy about it, you can make it up for all I care, and then add your Twitter handle or email address, and you are in a draw for... Bucks, just cash giveaway. The prize pool's up to $1,000 right now. We only need a few more reviews to jump that up to $1,500, and I'll be announcing the winners of that next week. So please support Mayo Media Network and do that. Also support runthesims.com. If you want to go up there right now, you can take a test drive on all of the free tools that are available. If you're a season-long player or you're just a researcher, the Advanced Stats Hub and the Projection Builder are free for everyone all year long. No cost involved in that. But you want the Optimizer, the Custom Game Sim, and all of the DFS and betting tools, that is going to cost you. Those are premium products. So if you go to runthesims.com slash mayo, you can get yourself a discount on that right now. Okay, let's talk to one of our favorites, Mike Leone from EstablishTheRun.com. You ready to talk wide receivers or what? I'm absolutely ready to talk wide receivers. I am a very wide receiver heavy drafter early in redraft league, so excited to do it. Well, let's just jump off on that point then. In terms of wide receiver draft strategy, when is the first time you think you would take a receiver in a redraft? And that's what we're talking about here. Half point PPR, 12 team league. I mean, you can extrapolate it to 14 team league if you want, but at what pick does a wide receiver become viable for you? Is it pick four? Is it pick eight? Are you taking Kelsey above all the receivers? I'm curious to know. Yeah, I think as early as even pick three, it it at least becomes an option. There's so many question marks with the running backs after Dalvin Cook and Christian McCaffrey that I'd consider it at pick three. Part of this comes into like how sharp is the rest of your league? You know, if you feel like you have a really big edge on the rest of your league, sometimes I'll play it a little safer and I'll just I'll take the running back to lock in knowing I'm going to be able to really accrue still a ton of wide receiver value throughout the rest of the draft rounds, you know, two through eight or whatever. And even if I think like in a vacuum, Devonte Adams is the better pick at pick three than Alvin Kamara or Derek Henry, 
I might lean running back. So I think you can consider it at pick three, probably for me more like pick six or seven after Kamara's gone, after Henry's gone, after Zeke's gone. That is exactly how I have my top 150 rankings right now. I have the big five running backs who I had in the same tier. Uh, but as Jake and I broke down, McCaffrey and Cook are kind of in their own tier. Then it's the next three guys. Then I have Kelsey at number six and Devontae Adams at number seven. So that's when I would jump off the running back train in 2021. Yeah, completely agree. And the Kelsey conversation also goes back to like, I think how sharp your league is, where if you feel like you have a real edge over the rest of your league, part of me wants to lock in that elite tight end because that's an edge you can't really manufacture in other ways and then go to the wide receiver well. So, you know, in a, in a, in a tougher, sharper league, I might go Devontae Adams and Diggs over Travis Kelsey in a more casual league, I might just take Kelsey, lock in that tight end advantage right away, and then I can beat people structurally throughout the rest of the draft. Yeah, if you feel confident that you can outsmart your league and you are one of the better players, I always think that bigger risks for more reward at the very top of your drafts is the proper strategy to employ because you're going to just beat people in the 12th round, in the 13th round, off the waiver wire, in a trade. So if your guy busts, like if you had drafted Christian McCaffrey, number one overall, and lost him after three weeks, if you're a good player and you play in a league where there are still bad players, you could have figured it out and been fine. Yeah. And it's like, if I'm playing in a league where some of the breakout wide receivers, I'm sure we'll talk about that. I like, you know, Brandon, Ayuk, T Higgins, if those guys are going in the fourth, fifth round versus if they're going in the sixth, seventh round, that that's a pretty meaningful difference as far as how you can structure your team. And if they're going to go in the sixth, seventh round, then it lets me take a stab at getting an elite running back, getting an elite tight end early. And I'm really not penalized in my wide receiver room to do so. Let's speak about the top tier at receivers. If you're watching the video version of the show, you will see the player boards that feature both the stats from last year and the projections, the baseline projections at least, from runthesims.com projecting forward into 2021. Now, if you want to change those projections, like I said, with a free account at runthesims.com, you can just go do that. It just You don't need a credit card. You don't need anything. You just need an email address. And if you're watching this, bet you have an email address. You might even want to go fuck around with that. It'll be fun. It's always fun. Like, I have Jamar Chase as number five in my, not my rankings, but I just tweak the projections just a little bit, Leone, and see what it would take for him to get up to that level. I did it with all of the Cincinnati wide receivers just to see if I have them projected as the highest passing team in the league. Could one of these guys take a major leap forward and be a top 10 guy? And what would that actually take? And it wasn't as extreme as you might think. It'll, a lot of it has to do with touchdown volume, and that's going to be the hardest thing to predict. But tier one, of wide receiver for me this year. It's four guys. It's Devontae Adams, Tyree Kill, Stefan Diggs, and Calvin Ridley. That is the order that I currently have them in. Tyree Kill is dealing with his knee tendonitis, though. That's not a great thing. And you said we're doing half PPR, correct? Correct. I think if it was full PPR, I might have just Diggs and Adams by themselves up top. Half PPR, yeah, Hill, Adams, Diggs. The three of them for me, I think I have like this mini tier two with Calvin Ridley and DeAndre Hopkins. I have Ridley ahead of Hopkins, but a little bit of a gap for me uh, after the top three down to Ridley. Yeah, and I'm pretty flexible. I, I think that Adams is the best, uh, especially now that we know that Aaron Rodgers is returning for sure. That just makes him like the surefire number one. That doesn't mean he's going to finish number one, but by all things that you can look at to project forward, 
And even because it's funny that no one really seems to worry about Devontae Adams touchdowns. And I think that you and I spoke about Adam Thielen when we broke down that division that a lot of people are concerned about the high receiving touchdown total for Adam Thielen. But no one is concerned about it for Devontae Adams, where I would put those two in the same sort of inside the five yard line bucket where those teams just have plays for those guys to score touchdowns. Yeah, and I think Adams is even on a different level than Thielen. I do agree. Like I'm putting some stock into Thielen's TD rate, even regressing it. I have him for a really high TD rate, but the Adam stuff, you can tell yourself the narrative with Aaron Rodgers. I mean, they just have these plays, him and Rodgers, this perfect connection. I mean, from the one yard line, even that they run and, and they do those for Thielen too, but Adams in particular, like, I think that's a big asset for him. I don't think we should be it might regress a little bit from last year because what he scored 16 touchdowns or something. I mean, he scored an absurd amount of touchdowns last year. So it might drop off a little bit, but he's a really strong bet for double digit touchdowns and in half PPR, I'm really not nitpicking any of these three guys. I love Diggs just because I think he's supremely talented. And then you put him in an offense that we know is going to be top three in the NFL and pass rate over expectation. They're going to put up points. Tyreek Hills playing with Patrick Mahomes. There also may be more target share for Tyreek Hill. You know, he's a guy who's been able to get to elite levels with a low 20% target share just because he's been so efficient. We saw it stretches last year. He got to 25 plus when Sammy Watkins was out. Obviously, no Sammy Watkins here. With Cole Hardman as the number two, there could be more volume Tyreek Hill's way, which is which is scary to think about the upside there. The reason that I have these four on the island, because I think that these four have the best probabilities finishing as wide receiver one. That doesn't mean people from the other tiers can't do that. But when I just kind of charted everything out, it was these four guys, their floor plus upside combination was just the best to me. But you hit on an interesting thing, passing above expectation. And I just want you to describe what that is for people who may not know. So... What you can do, if you look at every team's pass rate, a lot of the time that's dictated by game script and game script can be very volatile. You know, if they're down by two scores, they have to throw the ball. If they're up by two scores, they're probably going to be running the ball a lot in the second half. So moving forward, if those game scripts aren't always super predictable, then those pass rates aren't necessarily the best way to tell if a team is truly pass heavy or not. So there are teams like the Kansas City Chiefs and Buffalo Bills, that after we adjust for that game script, still pass a ton. So basically for every single play on the context of the game, you can have an estimate of what's the likelihood it's going to be a pass attempt. You know, maybe it's 50-50. And if they pass, you know, that's that's half 50% pass rate over expectation for that specific play. And you do it for every play the team runs. So you get a really good grasp of, how often are they passing relative to what a league average normal team would do in that exact same situation? I'll have a new coordinators and new coaches show coming out with Derek Brown from FTN Daily later on this week. And we talk about how some of these things might get flipped a little bit on their heads with new pass or new play callers in different situations. And you might see passing rates go down, passing rates go up now that there is a new scheme put in place, even though the personnel on the field is very much the same. Who were the worst teams at doing that last year, by the way? As far as like putting their players in a position to succeed, yeah. Like who was the team that um, ran more than they who ran more than oh, expectation? Well, surprisingly, the the Jets were really not aggressive, you know. And this is again adjusting for game script, so they were really bad. So their pass rate was like probably not at a super low level, but relative to what they should have been, it was crazy. But the 
the biggest outlier was the Patriots with Cam last year. You know, their rush rate was way higher than expected. They had a really low pass rate over expectation. I know Cleveland to start the year was crazy run heavy. And that's something I think changes this year. The very end of the year, Cleveland got had a more positive pass rate over expectation. They did it in the playoffs. They got us in the bad weather games. That's one I'm eyeing. Another situation that was interesting to me last year was the Rams overall were pretty neutral in pass rate over expectation, but they were really negative in the red zone. They really relied on the run game in the red zone. And I think that's somewhere where we could see some more upside from the Rams receivers this year. If that red zone pass rate of expectation is more aligned with their overall pass rate over expectation, which there are reasons to think it might be because you've upgraded from Jared Goff to Matthew Stafford. You've lost Cam Akers due to injury. So those are the types of things you can look at and try and you know discern how that could impact the wide receiver value heading into this year. Tier two at wide receiver. Here's the list of guys. And I made my rankings when I did the top 150 about four weeks ago now. And I haven't touched them since because I wanted to do this type of show where we can kind of hash it out and put these guys in the proper order. Because I'm looking at my list right now and I was like, Pat, what were you smoking? I mean, I know what I was smoking at the time. Um, but right now I have a clearer head and I'm looking at it and being like, huh, I kind of got these off. So here's the order of tier two that I had it in for right now. And we'll adjust these. Keenan Allen. DeAndre Hopkins, Allen Robinson, DK Metcalf, Justin Jefferson, AJ Brown, and Terry McLaurin. I feel like I, just nitpicking my own rankings, have Keenan Allen probably slightly too high. I think that I like Allen Robinson the best of all those guys, and I think I like Terry McLaurin more than Justin Jefferson and AJ Brown. What do you think? So, where do you have DeAndre Hopkins? Because you mentioned he wasn't in your... No, it was was Keenan Allen, then DeAndre Hopkins. He was number six overall. Yeah, so I think you have Keenan Allen too high as well. I have it DeAndre Hopkins, A.J. Brown, D.K. Metcalf, Justin Jefferson. And then I kind of have like a little bit of a tear break in half PPR before I get to Keenan Allen, Allen Robinson, Terry McLaurin, I have in a secondary tier. So you and I seemingly have different strategies in terms of drafting receivers. Now, a lot of the guys that I have pointed out are going after a lot of these guys. So even in tier two, I think you could probably soak up two of them if you look at where the ADPs shake out right now. Mm-hmm. But I am 100% volume still in this spot. And I just look at the guys who I know are going to get that guaranteed volume, who play in lesser offenses for sure, and are probably, I mean, it's hard to say who's a more explosive receiver, Allen Robinson or Justin Jefferson. We just look back to last year. The answer is Jefferson, but it doesn't mean we haven't seen Allen Robinson go bonkers before. I actually made this point uh, with Ray Garvin early last week that even though Andy Dalton is completely washed, is he the best quarterback that Allen Robinson has ever had? He might be the most capable quarterback. I mean, I know Trubisky had that one year where he, he played above his head, but uh, yeah, I it's, it's kind of nuts. And that one year for Bortles that he played well, but it's hard to tell if Bortles actually played well or Allen Robinson was just that good that he carried Blake Bortles. So it probably is. I like Allen Robinson a lot. I'm probably, you know, nitpicking a little bit here. I could see him in that tier when we're talking, you know, especially with half PPR, I'm really leaning towards the younger players that have shown an elite level of efficiency. And then I can sort of let the volume progress a little bit naturally. Whereas someone like AJ Brown, for example, I know it's not a high pass volume offense. I know Julio Jones is there as number two, but this is a team that their top two wide receivers get a large percent of the target share because of the way 
they played. Does that change a little bit with Arthur Smith gone? I guess that's a question mark. But there's some chances that Tennessee's pass rate goes up from last year. You know, I have it up about a handful of percentage points from last year just due to natural regression. We'll see what happens with game script. If something were to ever happen to Derrick Henry, for example, you know, AJ Brown would have this absurd ceiling. So it might be a situation where straight up, you know, AJ Brown versus Keenan Allen, Keenan Allen might have slightly better odds to outscore AJ Brown. But when I'm looking at the complete range of outcomes, you know, the huge ceiling on Brown, Metcalf and Jefferson, if things really break right, and maybe the pass volume is higher than we expect, you know, I think it tilts that into their favor. See, that's why I like McLaurin in this spot rather than some of these other guys. Again, someone like A.J. Brown, where A.J. Brown overall is probably the better receiver, but I think if we're looking at the floor and upside combination, then I do think it tilts back towards McLaurin a little bit, unless A.J. Brown hits his, like, 99.99 percentile outcome. Yeah. Only which, because, yeah, like, we'll like there isn't a... It wouldn't be a crazy idea to say that Julio Jones outscores A.J. Brown in fantasy this year. If he just scores double the amount of touchdowns, it's like 10 to 5, that could most definitely happen. I just don't see anyone on Washington outscoring McLaurin. No, nobody on Washington's outscoring McLaurin uh, as far as wide receivers go. But you've also got, you know, another... You've got some more... The competition, I guess, is more spread out. Like, Tennessee's literally... Julio and AJ Brown. So Julio is a bigger threat to AJ Brown than Curtis Samuel is to Terry McLaurin, but you've got Curtis Samuel. It's a team that throws to the running backs a lot. You've got Logan Thomas. They drafted Diami Brown. They might run three wide receiver sets a little bit more frequently than Tennessee will, which changes the targets per out run random side note. Part of the reason I like Calvin Ridley is I think Atlanta runs more two tight end sets this year. And We've seen in those formations, the targets per out run really increases for the receivers just because there's generally less options to target. But so that that's my thing with McLaurin is if you're looking at direct the closest competitor, yeah, it, it looks like McLaurin's got this huge gap. But if you're looking at just like overall talent, I think A.J. Brown's better than Terry McLaurin. And if you're looking at competition across the team as a whole, I don't think it's that much different. Yeah, I'm going to probably go with my gut and go with McLaurin on this and try to reach for the, hey, he's just going to see like close to a 30% target share uh, and the upgrade at quarterback, even to Ryan Fitzpatrick is just really huge. For it him, is an upgrade. It's a huge upgrade. Yeah. It, <laughs> yeah. And I mentioned them throwing into the running backs a lot. Part of that was quarterback related. Haskins and Alex Smith had two of the you know, highest uh, percentage of targets go to running backs last season. Part of that's the quarterback. Part of that's the running backs that they had. But Ryan Fitzpatrick is not going to target J.D. McKissick at the level that Alex Smith did, certainly, which is is better for all the non-running back pass catchers there. So one of the other things, too, with McLaurin, I was just fucking around with the run the Sims projections and what the market share could be. Do you think a 30 percent market share of Washington's targets for Terry McLaurin is in his range of outcomes, even if it's at the very high end? Yes, I think it's in the range of outcomes. So the baseline has him at 23%, which is a very like, it seems like a, a real hedge on his target share based on how much more talented he is than all of their other receivers, especially with Curtis Samuel getting COVIDed out and he's like banged up at the same time while he's just not on the field. That if I just adjust him from 23% of the targets to 30% of the targets, he becomes wide receiver two in my projections. Yeah, and that's where... 
you, you do want guys that can take those leaps. I think that's something where like, it wouldn't be nuts if AJ Brown did it either. I don't think AJ Brown probably is a 30% target share, you know, barring injury to like Julio Jones or something, but like AJ Brown at 27 and a half percent, I'd probably take over McLaurin at 30%. But I want to make a broader point here, which is you do want to focus on guys that have that type of room for growth. What happens a lot of times in fantasy is guys get drafted at their peak and they don't have a lot of room to grow. And you, you know, the types of players you want to be drafting have to have some ability for room to grow. And I think Terry McLaurin's a good example of it. He's definitely not someone I'm avoiding. I like him in the third round. I was a little skeptical coming into the off season when I first ran my math, but like I I'm in on him, even though I have AJ Brown higher and I like what you've noted about it's not a giant leap for him to get to that 30% target share mark. The thing with Keenan Allen as a part of the guys in this range is it feels like he has just such a solid floor. And I guess that his upside would be that if all of a sudden this is the year he starts cranking out the touchdowns. Now, I know we waited for that for Julio Jones for like 10 years. It just never materialized. But if Keenan can do that in a new offense, year two under a very good quarterback, he's one of the best route runners in all of football, that it just seems like they're going to lean on him because I'm not sold on any of these other guys. Everyone wants to talk up. Mike Williams is always a potential value. But yeah, when he gets hurt, oh, Josh Palmer, he's the guy you need to go get. Like it's Keenan Allen and Austin Eckler. That is this offense and everyone else else is a side piece yeah, Allen's extremely safe and to your point about the touchdowns he scored eight in 14 games last year so we started to see it when the offense was a little bit better a little bit faster they were pretty fast paced last year I wonder if that stays with the new coaching staff but I think they'll be more aggressive uh throwing the ball than they were they were pretty neutral pass rate over expectation even with Herbert playing as well as he did so I'm with you. I think the floor is really high here. This is where I try not to like double, triple count things. Cause I think with upside guys, sometimes as much as I love taking the breakout profiles and focusing on youth and you're really trying to hit the home run. Sometimes we double and triple count those things where, you know, I'm giving credit to AJ Brown for some things, Metcalf for some things, Jefferson for some things. I can't give them this credit in my projections. And then also keep saying, when it comes to draft, well, tiebreaker, give me the guy with more upside. So I've got Keenan Allen in our ranks, actually slightly at the top of this tier. If it was like full PPR for sure with, with his consistency. So last guy that we just kind of glossed over is DeAndre Hopkins. Uh, I've now moved him up to number five, year two of an offense where he's the clear alpha. I do worry that if Kyler gets back to running again, it's not so much that he's going to take away from DeAndre Hopkins is that he might take away a few potential goal line targets and red zone targets away from DeAndre Hopkins, which could really impact his overall upside. Plus they went and they drafted a receiver. I don't know. There's just something about me that doesn't want to draft DeAndre Hopkins, although none of them are logical. Yeah. He's like a better version of Keenan Allen to an extent, right? Where you, you might not feel this massive upside, but you talk about a guy that's shown an ability to earn targets and you're coming into Arizona last year. The concern was receiver on a new team. Those teams that, that that's tough for them. It's also tough for him entering a system where they spread the ball out. And he immediately like his first game, I think he had like a 14 catch game. <laughs> and it's to me, it is the it's Keenan Allen. If Keenan Allen was better and we were also a little bit more confident in the pace that the offense was going to run, this team's going to run a ton of plays. 
I do think we see some touchdown regression in Hopkins's favor, even with the Murray stuff by the goal line. He scored six last year, you know, per game. That was his lowest touchdown output overall. It was his lowest touchdown output since 2016. He scored seven in 15 games the year before, 11 the year before, 13 the year before. For teams that probably, I mean, they, they were decent offensively, but I'm really in on Hopkins, the ability to earn the target share and his catch rate is going to be super high. He's at about a 70% catch rate, three years running. He gets these shorter dot targets that, you know, that's part of the reason I have Ridley ahead of DeAndre Hopkins is I think Ridley has the ability to get the huge target share, but then he's also mixing in targets down the field that give you a bit more upside. That's the one drawback to DeAndre Hopkins is you're not getting crazy high value targets down the field. They can turn into huge plays, but he's just so talented at what he does and it, it kind of fits what Arizona is going to do. And there's also a hope that year two with Arizona, they expand how they use Hopkins a little bit. They used him pretty in a, in a pretty cookie cutter standard way last year, mixing him in. So I'm hoping that gets more innovative. No, oh, I was just doing a manual update uh, to the projections because the baseline has Hopkins in at 63% catch rate this year. That makes him wide receiver six. I bump him up to the standard 70% catch rate. He then jumps to becoming wide receiver two. I actually punched in 620%. That made him wide receiver number one. So I think that was just, <laughs> that, that was an input error on my part. But if you just give him 70%, he's up to number two. So he will be my wide receiver number five. I like talking this through with you. So tier two will now go and I'll update these in the top 150. 50 rankings and my rankings Hopkins Metcalf Allen Robinson Terry McLaurin my guy Scorin McLaurin which is the overall best nickname for him by the way all other ones bad nicknames Scorin McLaurin where you want to be at Keenan Allen Justin Jefferson AJ Brown do you think there's anyone else who should be a part of that tier you could make an argument for CD Lamb but I think that tier is about well okay right. I, I would probably throw CD Lamb if we're making this a bigger tier then I'd probably throw CD Lamb in that tier at the back end. Besides all of the Twitter buzz and highlights that we've been seeing about CD Lamb, explain to me why he is just the clear cut number one on this team, because I think it's a bit more even than that. Well, I'm somewhat with you in that. I think Amari Cooper's undervalued. I try to mix, you know, some respect for the market here where, you know, some sharper people are really on CD Lamb over Amari Cooper. I think they're pretty close. I think the advantage for Lamb over Cooper is the targets per out run really good for Lamb last season. He didn't, I think he's going to see the field more consistently than he did last season. And that could equate to more targets. It's also, I'm not overly concerned about Cooper's foot ankle issues, but it's it's at least something, you know, especially with. A, a guy that's, you know, CD Lamb's like what, like eight years younger than Amari Cooper. So, with there being a little bit of injury risk in Amari Cooper, I think there's just a bunch of tiebreakers that go CD Lamb's way. I like them both a ton. I think this offense is going to run at a super fast pace. I think they're going to have to pass a decent bit just because of the game script, like their defense isn't that good. With the offensive line back, Dak back, I think the efficiency on top of all that volume. Could be amazing. And CD Lamb was a really good prospect. And I think how we view, I forgot, I don't know. I think maybe it was Eric Bimefor who tweeted this, but he was saying that how we view Justin Jefferson, CD Lamb, and T. Higgins might really be different if Kirk Cousins got hurt instead of Joe Burrow and Dak Prescott. And I think if Dak Prescott had played that full year, 
for Dallas last season, we would have CD lamb being drafted here. And he's starting to get so much steam that he is starting to get drafted here. But I think it would have been the case from the get go from the very start of this off season. Had we had a full, fully healthy Dak all year last year. Well, in the past three days, I'm looking at a sample of 32 high stakes drafts. CD lamb is being drafted at wide receiver. Number 11, Pick number 30 overall. Amari Cooper is now down to wide receiver 17 at pick 43 overall. So there's now a round difference between them in terms of drafts. So Cooper Cooper is the value here for sure. Like at ADP, the one you want is Amari Cooper, in my opinion. His targets with Dak the first four or five games were really high. And I do think that I like them both a lot. You know, I'm arguing for CeeDee Lamb being in this tier. But I'm with you that I think they are closer than the market has it. I think either one of them could very easily be an early second round pick next year if this Dallas offense clicks the way that I think it's going to. And then it's just a little bit of randomness as to you know maybe who runs a little hotter on efficiency. It's impossible to completely project the target share. What's nice, too, is there's room for upside in the target share on all these guys, in my opinion, where... They mixed guys in like Cedric Wilson at times last year. I think overall at the end of the day, the target share for Cooper, Gallup, and Lamb was about 55% last year, which is solid. But a team like Carolina, for example, Samuel, Robbie Anderson, and DJ Moore were at 66%. If Dallas starts itching their offense to be more concentrated on these three guys, which they should, I mean, you don't want to be throwing the ball to Dalton Schultz. You don't want Cedric Wilson taking away reps from these wide receivers as long as they're healthy. I think there's upside for all of them, quite frankly. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a big Amari Cooper fan this year. See, I can see that. But at the same time, this Dallas offense does seem like they do want to use the Dalton Schultzes of the world. They want to, like they bring in Malik Turner. They draft another wide receiver. It seems like they want these periphery pieces to be in the mix somewhat like this is what I'm looking at right now. I just manually adjusted some of this stuff up because CD lamb projected out under the run, the Sims projections, the baselines as wide receiver number 21 for the year. It was a bit down on everyone only because the rushing rate was really high for the Cowboys. And if they are expected to be a better team, they're one of like in terms of their division, they should be along with Washington. Uh, They'll have the most prolific offense and the defense is, you know, probably the second best behind Washington, which is a sad state of affairs for the NFC East, but I just manually adjusted things down. So now I have them running close to 1,100 plays for the season with a rushing rate of only 41% and them scoring 60 touchdowns, which I believe is either first or second in the league. And I have them at a 38% rushing touchdown rate at the same time. So I divvied up the market shares, which is going to be really difficult to figure out at the number that you were right around. So they had a 55% combined last year between the big three. I have them at 56% this year, 21% for Cooper, 20% for CeeDee Lamb, 15% for Michael Gallup. And even with uh, me adjusting down and making passing more relevant in terms of the projection, that puts Cooper at 15, CeeDee Lamb at 18. Yeah, so I think my counter to that would be you're at the 55% mark. I don't think it's going to go lower than 55%. There's a chance if all three of them stay healthy, it gets up to 60 to 65%, which would be a big deal because that the way the offense, you mentioned some of the offensive numbers, just switching target shares a little bit there up is going to be a big deal. And then the other thing we have to consider with these teams that have three guys is, I mean, there's always the chance one of the other ones gets hurt. And then all of a sudden we're looking at, 
you know, Amari Cooper, CD Lamb going from a 20% target share, 19% target share up to a 25% target share. And now, you know, what would that do in your rankings? Like, we don't want to count on that, but it's a chaotic NFL season. Things happen. So, you know, talking about drafting guys with room for growth potential, sometimes these concentrated offenses are the perfect combination of safety because we know where the targets are going to go and upside in the sense that if anything happens to any one of them, the other one could benefit in such a huge and tangible way. So just boosting Lamb from 20% to 25% makes him wide receiver seven for me. Right, which is, I mean... That's, that's no, I, I agree. That is most definitely a plausible outcome. That's not even like, well, it's in his range, but you know, a 1% shot. No, yeah. that, that's probably like 50-50 odds to happen. Yeah, maybe like 30, 70, but even still, like the floor is very good. So we're talking about guys that we're, we're not going to miss on in a big way and we could potentially hit on in a big way. And that's both guys in the Dallas offense for me. So let's break down the tier three of receiver because I have all of these guys kind of jumbled in this tier. I have CeeDee Lamb as a part of this tier. So it's Julio, Godwin, Evans, Thielen, Jamar Chase, Robert Woods, Cooper Cup, CeeDee Lamb, Deontay Johnson, or Murray Cooper. That's the tier of guys that I have. Maybe that tier is too big. Maybe it doesn't involve everyone that it should. Uh, so I want to hash this out. Do you think that CeeDee Lamb is the best of all of those guys? Yes, I would have C.D. Lamb at the top of that tier. I'd have both the Dallas guys really around the top of that tier. And then I, I've been coming around to seeing a lot of upside from the Rams guys. I think I might have Cooper Cup near the top as well. Yeah, I originally had Cooper Cup as the very top guy as a part of that tier, but I don't know if it's going to be him or if it's going to be Woods. I think that they're just both going to be good. And if they are going to mm -hmm. pass a little bit more above expectation, which they may not, they might just use some sort of carousel at running back or really commit to Daryl Henderson, who knows. But Higby has to be a part of that mix. Van Jefferson has to be a part of that mix. Like There are other guys on the Rams that I could see taking a larger leap forward than the two guys that we're just accustomed to seeing. Yeah, my hope is... We've seen for Cooper Cup, we've seen stretches where he's really dominated. It seems like it's never lasted a full season, whether it's due to health or he had a weird season like a couple of years ago where they were running these two tight end sets and he was actually coming off the field. And, you know, Bob Woods was staying out there and I think it was Josh Reynolds was staying out there and some of these two wide receiver sets that they were having success success with running the ball. So the upside for Cup is that he's got these really high targets per out run and then hopefully he those things don't happen. He's able to stay on the field. He runs more routes. And then the target share that seemed like it's similar to Bob Woods's or a little bit less starts to separate from Robert Woods. And I think if someone's going to benefit from increased pass rate in the red zone specifically, again, we kind of just need to get it more to like neutral from well below average to get those pass touchdowns up. I think Cooper Cup is the guy that you know, strikes me as having a lot of red zone success. But I have Robert Woods in this tier. I have them very close. There's just part of me that sees a little bit of a higher true ceiling on Cup than on Woods. Would you rather have the Rams guys or the Bucks? The big two on the Bucks, not including Antonio Brown. Yeah, I'd rather have the Rams guys. And it's tough because I do like Tampa Bay. If you look at you know projected team totals for the year, Tampa Bay has one of the highest. I was on Brady big last year. 
and was ridiculed for that and took took a W there. The issue with Tampa Bay, I mean, we mentioned with Dallas how we're really excited about this concentrated offense, like become more concentrated. I don't know if Tampa is going to get more concentrated. You know, Brady really spreads out the ball. He targets his running backs out of the backfield. They brought in Giovanni Bernard to play the James White role. Three different tight ends they roll through. Antonio Brown was third in the NFL in targets per outrun last year. And they, you know, they drafted Dearden. They have Scotty Miller, who they mix in, who's who's you know better than like the Dallas backups that randomly mixed in last year. They have is it Ty Johnson who's who's like a solid prospect as well? So I don't know. And I also think the game script on Tampa Bay could be super, super favorable. So I really like these guys, but I prefer the Rams guys. So CD Lamb, Amare Cooper, maybe at the top of this tier, then Cooper Cup and Robert Woods. I got to mix in my guy, Jamar Chase. Have I made you? I've already made the Jamar Chase pitch on this show uh, probably three times now. So I don't think that anyone else wants to hear it again. But do you have a specific lean on just the Bengals wide receiving core? Like, I like all three of them. And projections have them all being very good, all inside the top 30. I just think that if we're trying to project out who can make a giant leap based on where they're going right now, that if they went and got Chase for this reason, he's actually as good as advertised, he is going to be dominant. I'm 100% with you. A lot of it's a big guessing game, like target share between Jamar Chase and T. Higgins. Like, I love T. Higgins. Rotoviz has done a lot of research on second year breakouts. He was sort of a boomer bust prospect who boomed year one and now year two looks great with Burrow back. But ultimately, Jamar Chase is the best wide receiver prospect we've seen since Amari Cooper. You know, this is a very special player. I think he was so clearly number one in this draft class that. In some ways, he was almost a little bit underhyped because he was just the default number one wide receiver. There are no arguments. There was no like Devonta Smith or Jamar Chase arguments. You know, no, there was no Jalen Waddle or Jamar Chase arguments because he was so clearly the number one here. Uh, just absurd college statistics and production. And he's playing with the quarterback he played with in college, which it's a narrative thing, but it makes you feel a little bit better about the acclimation period year one and maybe him not taking as long to get mixed in as other rookie receivers and you end of season production is really what we care about anyways. And if there's a receiver from Cincinnati getting drafted super early night, like I think Jamar Chase could get drafted at the one, two turn next year. I think that's plausibly in his range of outcomes. I think T Higgins more maxes out at, Oh, this guy, he, you know, he hit really good, but we're probably taking him in round three, you know, maybe early round three, but, I think Jamar Chase has top five NFL wide receiver upside. And I'm the same way, and I want to be in on that this year, even if it blows up in my face, because it's not like he's being overdrafted at the moment. Like, the tier that I have him on as it pertains to these wide receiver rankings is nowhere near where he's being drafted. He's being drafted 20 to 25 picks after all these guys. He's going to, like, pick 50 to 55 right now. Maybe someone gets a bit sneaky. The highest he's gone in a high-stakes league is 42nd, but that is an outlier because the average pick is around number 55 overall, which is funny because that's two spots ahead of T. Higgins. Like, I like T. Higgins a lot. He was one of my guys last year. Really rode him down the stretch after everyone had kind of given up on him, but in no world would I take Higgins over Chase just because of the upside. Yeah, I'm with you there. And 
Cincinnati is another team that to me, I wrote an article about stacking the Bengals earlier this offseason on the ETR, and I compared them to Dallas and they're similar in a lot of ways. In one way, their pace is really high. If you look at the games in which Burrow played um, and the games which Dak played, these two teams each ran over 70 plays per game. Now they had some outlier type games in there, but the 11 weeks that Burrow was fully healthy for Cincinnati, they ran an above NFL average amount of plays in all 11 of those games. So even if you strip out the outliers, they were consistently up tempo. And unlike Dallas, they had a much more consistently high pass rate over expectation. Dallas threw a lot because they ran a ton of plays and because they were in a negative game script a ton, but they didn't necessarily, they weren't necessarily super aggressive relative to context. And Cincinnati was very aggressive relative to context. They're also much more likely than Dallas I think Dallas will be in some negative game scripts and shootouts with their defense, but Cincinnati's got a low win total. Like they're going to be a negative game script. So I just feel super confident about the passing volume being there for Cincinnati. I'm in on Burrow, assuming, you know, we get good reports on that knee and everything's good to go there. The stuff that he did well last year, Pro Football Focus did an article on this. He was good on intermediate accuracy. He was good in clean pocket situations. That stuff is more stable year to year than the stuff he didn't do so well in, which was, you know, his statistics under pressure, his success on deep passing. That stuff's more volatile and we would expect to regress positively for him. So I'm really in on all of the Bengals wideouts. I think Boyd is even a steal as we get later on, but he he has a little bit more cap on his ceiling, but he's very safe for where he goes in drafts. Yeah. Like if I just bump up the Jamar chase target share to 25% in this offense, and when you talk about offensive concentration, it is a lot like it is for mm-hmm. the Dallas Cowboys where, well, the Cowboys have used Schultz and they've used Jarwin and Cedric Wilson. And they're probably going to use Noah Brown a little bit too. And maybe the rookie that they brought in or throw to their running backs. Like, the Bengals only use CJ secret of the Uzma and the other guy, the drew sample because they, they like had no one left to throw to. And they were running out backup quarterbacks like with burrow and these three guys healthy. It just feels like these three guys are going to get all of the receptions. Yeah. I have them for combined like 62% target share right now. And again, you know, if let's say Tyler Boyd gets hurt, Jamar Chase and T Higgins. I mean, it's, it's skyrockets through the roof. Now there are other situations that aren't necessarily the case. You know, I, I really like Allen Robinson, but there's no one on the bears that would get hurt. And Allen Robinson's target share would go higher than it is. We know where it's going to be. We might be off, you know, due to human error by two to three points due to randomness by two to three points, but there's no, you know, David Montgomery gets hurt. It's not like those targets shoot up a ton for Allen Robinson. He's at his cap, which is fine for where he goes. But you do see where in some of these offenses like Cincinnati and Dallas, we're not necessarily drafting these guys at their peak potential target share that their skill would allow them to earn in the right opportunity. And we shouldn't assume that opportunity is going to come because it's more likely than not to not come. But the odds of it happening are probably a little higher than you think like tons of crazy things happen over the course of an NFL season. So we should consider the true talent of the players and what they could earn in ideal circumstances. 
So I have now shifted around the rankings. You've sold me on CeeDee Lamb, his floor plus upside potential. He's going to be at the top of tier three. And I'm just going to go, listen, I got to swing for the fences on someone here. And I'm going to swing for the fences on Jamar Chase. I'm going to have him right after him. That makes him number 12 in my rankings, I believe, at wide receiver. Fun times. CeeDee Lamb, Jamar Chase, Amari Cooper, Cooper Cup, Robert Woods. That leaves Godwin, Julio, Thielen, Evans, and Deontay Johnson. Do those guys feel like they should all be in the same tier? Are there other guys that should be in that tier to you, or does that sound about right? I would prob I, I would definitely have Tyler Lockett in the back end of this tier. And possibly I probably would have him over Deontay Johnson. I think with Lockett. Go ahead. As as much as we're seeding to the talent of DK Metcalf, and we should. Tyler Lockett scored as many fantasy points as DK Metcalf last year, and he's going, you know, three to four rounds later, you know, at a certain point, I think we need to, you know, accept some variance there. And these are the only two guys, you know, he's still going to get targeted. I'm also excited about the coordinator change. I know everyone's kind of worried that they're going to pass last, you know, because Pete Carroll couldn't handle it. But I think with Shane Waldron, who is the pass game coordinator from the Rams coming over, taking over for, an offensive coordinator who let's just flat out face it. Like Schottenheimer was not a good offensive coordinator. So I think whatever they lose in pass volume, first of all, I don't think it's going to be as much as people think. And second of all, I think it's going to be made up for in terms of efficiency. I can see that my only issue with Lockett, like these rankings are for redraft leagues. And if you're doing something like best ball, I can see where the tower Lockett, like Supreme value comes in based on that massive ceiling week to week that he has. I just feel like you get let down by tower Lockett way too much on a weekly basis when you're playing in a head to head league. I mean, you a hundred percent did last year, but my, my counter to that would be two things. One like weekly distributions for players aren't that predictable year over year. So players that have a huge standard deviation in their weekly outcomes one year, that's not sticky. That's not necessarily they're going to have this huge standard deviation again the next year. So that, that's my first argument is I highly doubt we'll get as volatile of a year as we did last year. And the second argument, if you're playing in a head-to-head league, generally when you win a week, it's someone has a huge score. It's not because one wide receiver you had projected for 15 points scored eight that week. So if we have some weeks where Tyler Lockett scores eight instead of 15, you know, that's okay. Cause he's straight up winning us the weeks he scores 30 plus. So I, I guess what I'm saying is I don't think the concern is going to come to fruition as much as it looks like if you just scan through the game log. And even if it did, I don't think it's as negative. I don't think it's as much of a bug you know, it's a feature, not a bug sort of thing. Maybe not quite to that, that far, but I don't think it's that big of a deal. I guess that was sort of my case for Deontay Johnson in that regard, where it just seems like he scores the same amount of points every week. And there's something comforting about that to me. Comforting doesn't necessarily translate to wins though. It'll might it make you feel better for sure. But when you're actually looking at your head to head to scores each week, like how often are you playing games that are decided by, you know, less than five points? It's not, that frequent so i don't know if it's a huge deal i think it mostly comes out in the wash by the end of the season quite frankly and uh with deontay johnson i like deontay i think the ability to earn targets is a big deal and the big question mark is he going to continue to earn these targets he had some issues last year he wasn't as productive as he should have been with the targets that he got but sort of no one except claypool was for Pittsburgh, which you can point back to the quarterback there, still the same quarterback they have this year. So 
I'm just a little weary on him where I, I'd have him a tier lower. I don't see the huge upside. I think he's a very safe pick. I think he should be going first out of all the Pittsburgh wide receivers, but it wouldn't shock me if Juju outscored Deontay. It wouldn't shock me if Claypool outscored Deontay. I think they're all somewhat tight. It would shock me if Claypool outscored him, to be perfectly honest with you. Just repeating that sort of touchdown rate in back-to-back years, maybe that's just the guy who he is, and I'm wrong about that. It that His touchdown rate just seemed like an outlier to me. It is. Your, your hope with Claypool, though, is that he he's because he was so productive that he earns more volume. And we're not expecting the same efficiency as he had last year. But if he has better efficiency than Deontay and he cuts in and it's not, you know, instead of it being a 26% target share to 16%, it's, you know, 22 to 18, you know, Clay, Claypool's efficiency at that point might matter. And then I also could see Juju, you know, straight up out targeting Deontay it could swing that way. I So, yeah, I don't know. For me, I think Deontay is a little bit of a lower ceiling bat than the other guys in the rest of this tier. All right, I'm good with bumping Deontay out of Tier 3 and down into Tier 4 with the Lockets of the world, with Ayuk and DJ Moore and different guys like that. But are you good with Julio, Thielen, and Evan still being a part of that Tier 3, just at the bottom end of it? Yeah, I'm I'm good with that. I like all three of those guys. I don't think they should be any higher. I think that's the perfect spot for them. There's definitely a cutoff in drafts after the, you said You mentioned Higgins in there, right? No, I have Higgins on the next oh, one below. Okay, I'd have T. I'd have T. Higgins in. I'd have T. Higgins in with Thielen. Like I, I'm drafting T. Higgins over Thielen probably, but really? that's my cutoff. Like I think so. I think I'm taking a little bit more of a swing. I like them both. I have them ranked back to back. I think I'm taking the swing on the second year breakout, continuing to bat on the Cincinnati offense, and you know Thielen wrong side of thirty. I'm just a little. I don't know. I like Thielen. Regardless, I think there's a cutoff here after Thielen and Higgins and drafts. Like these guys go most of the time, like wide receiver 22, 23. I do think there's a cutoff after these guys where in that fifth round, if you're at the front of the fifth round, you get one of these guys in some of the sharper leagues. If you're at the back end of the fifth round, you don't. And I do think there's a pretty steep drop off after Thielen, Julio, T Higgins. I would include Lockett into that to maybe Deontay Johnson, and then definitely after Deontay Johnson. Okay, so tier number four for me right now, I have, and these are just the names, we'll put them in an order, Ayuk, Deontay Johnson, T. Higgins, Tower Lockett. Kenny Galladay was a part of this tier, but he is injured now with his hamstring. He's expected to be ready for week one, but it's already a hamstring injury, and the way that this works is he's out two to three weeks, he will rush back early to play week one, leave halfway through that game, then be out another six weeks. So I just don't want to draft Kenny Galladay anymore. Ray and I talked about that on last week's show. You can hear the full breakdown, and maybe it opens up a little bit for some of the other Giants options. DJ Moore, Brennan Cooks. Don't know what to do with Devonta Smith. I had him up here before he got injured, but I don't really know what his timetable is right now. Robbie Anderson, Cortland Sutton, Odell Beckham, Will Fuller, Jalen Waddle. Now, that's a really big tier of receivers. Maybe we can separate that up a little bit and make it two tiers. But I think that all of those names, unless you want to start adding names into the fold there, I think are pretty much around each other. I feel, I feel like I need another quick rundown or a visual of this list because it's right. such a big tier. Okay. Ayuk, Deontay Johnson, T. Higgins, Lockett, DJ Moore, Brennan Cooks, Devonta Smith, Robbie Anderson, Cortland Sutton, Odell Beckham, Jalen Waddle, and Will Fuller. Yeah, I 
I like that list. I'd maybe throw Jerry Judy in there or Tyler Boyd. Um, but that might be the start of a next tier. I think that's a pretty good tier. I really like DJ Moore a lot. I think he's the perfect representation of you know betting on long-term talent and accepting you might your most likely outcome might be a slight loss at ADP, but if things really click right, it could be a big hit just because historically we haven't seen very many receivers, especially at DJ Moore's age, you know, pound out the three seasons that he's been able to accumulate. He's shown, especially last year, they used him in a little bit of a different way and he was still successful. Instead of using him in the short area of the fields, they used him on these higher eight out routes. So he can win in a lot of different ways, which I think is a really good sign for the stability and upside for a wide receiver. So I like DJ Moore at the very top of that tier uh, with Higgins and Lockett. And I like Deontay Johnson a little bit more than I like DJ Moore, only because it does feel like we talk about natural touchdown regression that Robbie Anderson just simply has to score more this year. And he's back with his old quarterback. Maybe they have a bit of a rapport. Doesn't DJ Moore, they all have to score more because somehow Teddy Bridgewater only threw 15 touchdowns and supported the three top 24 receivers. Don't quote me on that 15 touchdowns, but it was somewhere around. It, It was, no, it was 15 touchdowns. But DJ Moore only scored four, and God, I remember at least a couple plays where Teddy just just blew it. So they're, they're both going to score more touchdowns this as year. as they should. Do you, do you think it's weird that I have Brennan Cooks as a part of this tier? Like I don't really care who his quarterback is. If we talk about guys that can be the lead leader lead leaders in target share on their own of anyone, like Brennan Cooks, I, I feel like thirty five percent of the targets is in his range of outcomes now. I don't know. And this is where it comes back to me for talent versus just like filling a target vacuum or target void. And I'm not sure Brandon Cooks is is the type of receiver that's going to earn a 35% target share or 30% target share. So I'm a little skeptical where I feel very confident he's going to be in the 20 to 25 range. There's absolutely no one to knock him off that. But I don't have a great feeling about his upside being much higher than 25%, even though there's, you're right. There's absolutely no competition. In theory, he should be able to do that. I just don't know if that's within his skill set. So I'm a little bit lower on Brandon Cooks. Than, I'm probably a little bit higher on him than the market, but lower than you are. Yeah, I'm higher on him than the market. I feel like that is a pure volume play. And although the offense isn't going to be great, the guys throwing him the ball aren't going to be great. It's a team that's going to be losing a lot of the time. So they're going to be throwing a lot. Yeah, we should see a lot of pass attempts for them. The and hey, listen, you, you, you're, you're a Tyrod guy. If he ends up starting, you, you, were, the, you were there for the Sammy Watkins years. I'm done. Yeah, he, he, he actually throws a pretty good deep ball. He does, but that was, I mean, we're, we're getting back. Eight, eight I mean, years that was ago? like five years ago now. <laughs> and the issue with Tyrod as the quarterback is that they might not be as pass heavy as they should given the game script. And then you kind of have the worst of both worlds you know what i mean where the team's not scoring but they're also not throwing a lot from behind just because of the nature of the, the quarterback skill set and how they want to use him that's that's one of my bigger concerns with brandon cooks okay why brandon Ayuk over debo samuel i've had a really tough time with this all off season i like them both I honestly think Brandon Ayuk's getting overdrafted a little bit. And every sharp person I know is on Brandon Ayuk as 
a breakout player. Kevin Cole for Pro Football Focus just did a thing about Brandon Ayuk as a breakout player. Rotoviz absolutely loves him. Uh, you know, the ship chasing guys love him. I like him, but my concern with Ayuk, he's definitely the higher ceiling bet than Debo Samuel because of his route tree and what he's able to do down the field. And I think part of Kevin Cole's article was like this slants and types of routes that he was running. So he's like these really high catch, these really high yak opportunities, basically. And then he's got the big play, like high A dot opportunities. So a lot of boom potential because of that. But if I was betting who would have more targets, Debo or Brandon Ayuk, I would say Debo Samuel. And my the one thing I'm looking at, I'm pulling it up right now. People say, well, Debo gets those, you know, those BS catches that are really handoffs. Those, I don't care. He also, remarked, the, the, those count, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> Remarkably, this is the thing I, I wanted to point out. On those, so because of those, he has absurd catch rate. He had a 75% catch rate last year. But he also was more explosive than you would think, right? Like if he's getting those, his yards per catch should be really low, right? In theory, Pat, like he shouldn't be able to have a high yards per catch because you're saying he's just getting these BS carries. His career yards per catch, Debo Samuel, 13.3, Brandon Ayuk, 12 and a half, even with all the things I said about Ayuk's route tree and everything. So there's part of me that really thinks we're undervaluing Debo Samuel, maybe more than we're overvaluing Brandon Ayuk. There's a really small cohort of wide receivers that I know Pat Crane fed me this stat that have achieved two yards per out run in each of their first two seasons. It's guys like Odell Beckham, Julio Jones, um, I'm, I'm blank, AJ Brown. You know, it's guys like that, and I'm kind of blanking on the whole list. But AJ Green back in the day, like it's all studs. So I'm really ringing the bell for Debo Samuel. I like Debo a ton. So should I be ranking? It sounds like you made a pretty compelling case to me, and I got kind of thrown off. You said all of these people like Brandon Ayuk, and I've been getting kind of caught up in the buzz and that momentum as well. But these are my rankings. I'm going to do what I want my rankings and draft how I, I like Ayuk. I think Ayuk should be first. I just don't Why, think but, the but, gap but, but, should but, be. But hold on. Why should he be first though? Like everything we just kind of and the biggest thing about Debo Samuel last year is fucking hurt all season. I, well, what's crazy, I'm looking at NFFC ADP from the last week in their online championships, and Ayuk is going 49.7 at wide receiver 23. Debo's going 75.9 at wide receiver 36. That's just mind-boggling to me. So I'm I'm just seeding to Ayuk where like there's enough sharp people that have made enough compelling cases to me about the pure upside of Ayuk that I'm buying it and I'll take that breakout profile over Debo if I have to choose between the two. If I'm choosing for one to take an ADP, it's hands down Debo. I mean, you can get Debo at the six, seven turn. I mean, you can get Debo in round seven. I took him in round eight, I think, that and around eight in the you know, recent FFPC best ball. Ayuk's not making it out of the fifth round. That is a huge difference in cost. Like even more than three round sounds, like the opportunity cost is just it's very, very different. Okay. I think I might have them a lot closer. I either I might bump down Ayuka tier, bump up right now, Debo Samuel a tier, because I'm starting and just listen, I'm not the world's best talent evaluator looking at guys on film, Leone. I know I don't know yeah. if you knew that or not, but I'm not. But Debo reminds me well, of Ter- Terrell Owens. He really does. 
I'm also not, not your film guy, which is why, you know, I, I kind of put some faith in some others that do that. But hey, if, if Debo's TL, we're looking pretty good. He's yeah, I mean, one of my highest exposure wide receivers on underdog right now. I think he might be the highest, actually. So, I mean, I don't think he's as good as T.O., but when I, well, I mean, T.O. is like one of the three best receivers of all time. But when I see him play, like his physicality, and you talk about these short routes and these little dump offs that are basically handoffs and how he's still able, it's not because Debo is the world's fastest man. He hits the edge and just burns everyone down the sidelines. He is fucking trucking people over. That's fair. And it seems like that's sort of the ground, like the the ground. Of, and, but that's the other part about these San Francisco wide receivers, that regardless of if it's Ayuk or Samuel, they're still second behind George Kittle in priority in this passing offense. And it's an offense that wants to run the ball and probably will run the ball a lot more this year because their defense is back. They should be a much better team than they were a year ago. Like these 16 target games for Ayuk, just, I don't think exist anymore. Yeah, I, I do think... Part of that gets made up that I think if Trey Lance is any good at all, they're they're just going to score so many points. Yeah, but but won't but won't a lot of that out. offense just be Trey Lance running the ball a ton? I mean, they already ran the ball a lot. You know, I think we're going to see just enough efficiency, enough touchdowns that, and, and if Lance is good as a passer, we might not see as dramatic as a shift in the pass rate as I think people suspect because they didn't trust their quarterbacks the past few years. So they ran the ball a ton. So I think some of Lance's scrambling and designed runs for him might offset with the fact that they're willing to be more aggressive throwing the ball in some situations that they may not have before. That's a guess. You know, there is some downside that something like that doesn't occur and they are crazy run heavy. And then at that point you're like, how do we support round two or three Kittle round five, Ayuk, and round seven Debo. And it, it does become a little bit of a question mark. If you're, if that exact situation hurts where Lance isn't that good and they run the ball even more, that's definitely the bear case. Yeah. So I think I can kind of break this up into a mini tier. So tier four, what I think I'm going to do is go with Deontay Johnson, T Higgins, Tyler Lockett, DJ Moore, and Brandon cooks. Cause I, I do really like Brandon cooks. I'm going to Brandon cooks. Get out of here. Can make, we at least put make, him in the tier five? Make, make me a bet. Leone, make me a bet over someone. Um, Debo. <laughs> Debo. Odell for- Beckham. I'll take Odell. I'll take Odell over Cooks. That's like a good, like he's another veteran. I'll take Odell over Cooks. All right. Odell over Cooks? Yeah, I can do that. Total total fantasy points this season? Yeah. Half point people. Lock and load. I'm going to write this one down. Enjoy your eight concussion games, Mayo. Oh, yeah. Beacon of health, Odell Beckham Jr. Sure. (laughs) hundred bucks? Let's do it. Booked. Lock, lock that in. You should be giving me odds on this. But that's how confident I am, Leone. Brennan Cooks. Too many cooks. Too many cooks. Too many cooks. Is what you're going to see in your dreams when all the bucks are mine. Well, not all the bucks, but, you know, I lose $100. I, doing feel, I feel bad not giving you some odds. Okay? I'll give you plus 120 on this. Oh, even better. So there we go. I get well, a- I mean, Brandon Cooks' ADP is wide receiver 40, and Odell's is wide receiver 27. So you deserve some odds. I'm going to give you plus 120. You are such a money bags, Leone, just giving me free money. Well, I so, can't. So I, I can't so- in good conscience, like, Matic tried to do this to me. I was blindly betting on the last, the match, uh, the Phil and versus Bryson one. And he had me give him, 
And I just, I didn't care. Right? I was just degenerating. I wanted to gamble on it. I'm like, just give me the, whatever the line is, I'll take, you know, the non-juice line. And he was giving himself plus money on the Bryson side. Oh my God. Are you kidding me? Yeah. And I was like, dude, what, what is this? like, I just told you I would take the other side blindly. Give me a fair line. So I'm trying to, to be not like Davis Maddock in this regard. Well, the less you can be like Davis, probably the better that's going to do for your likability, uh, as the comments on my Davis and I shows have proven over the years. <laughs> he is uh, a bit more polarizing than me, I think, as a fantasy analyst. All right. So I will at least heed your warning. I will bump Brennan Cooks down to number one as the part of the next tier. So we'll have this mini tier four of Deontay Johnson, T. Higgins, Tower Lockett, and DJ Moore. That would leave tier five. And this is the last year that we're going to do. I'll do a part two of this uh, at, at, you know, at, not like a super later date, some, something very soon. But as we can talk, we, you know, we still have like 30 receivers to talk about. We're not going to get through all of that today. I don't want to keep Leone here. I mean, money bags Leone is throwing away. Now 120 bucks when Brendan <laughs> Cooks wins this uh, as they'll be a part of tier five. So tier five will be Brendan Cooks hitting the leadoff. And then I have those other guys in here. So maybe we can fill this out and we don't need to go super in depth on this, but just create this tier that will really help me out in terms of the rankings. I don't think that Kenny Galladay can be a part of this tier. I don't think Devonta Smith can be a part of this tier anymore with their injury concerns. So that leaves Debo, Ayuk, Robbie Anderson, Cortland Sutton, Odell, Jalen Waddell, Will Fuller. Should those two guys be significantly higher than Devonte Parker, do you think? Who is just, re- he's like, Devonte Parker is somehow now the only one who's healthy of the bunch. Yeah, I don't think they should be. Okay. I think Devontae Parker might honestly be the, the favorite for most targets. I think Fuller and Waddle have more upside, which is, again, it's kind of like the Debo versus Ayuk thing. We're like, I think Debo is going to get more targets than Ayuk, but I'll take the Ayuk upside bet. Similar here where I'd probably take the Waddle Fuller upside bet over Parker, but I have them ranked very closely and as a result, a tier below because it's hard. You know, if you have them ranked close, they're probably not in this tier. So you had mentioned Jerry Judy as someone to potentially bump up. So here's just a tease of the other names that are on the next tier that I have down. I really want to put Marvin Jones on this tier. I think it's ludicrous that he is being drafted last as the Jacksonville receivers that just you, you crazy internet people in your Twitter clips be like, Oh my God, check out this Chenault highlight. Like, give me a break. I got kicked off a show for suggesting that we might be overhyped on Chenault. So Give me some credit here. I have some uh, some level of tethered to reality, I guess you could say. How if it's only a smidge? How is Marvin Jones going forty picks after Chanel? That is, like I don't understand. Like I who came up with this? Yeah, I might be I might be a little low on Marvin Jones. Why isn't, but why isn't Marvin Jones the best receiver on this team? I get Chark is probably the most talented, but. Everything that Chenault does, uh, they just drafted a guy in the first round who does everything he does, but better. I, I don't know, man. I think we're going to see Chenault working as more of an every down wide receiver. You, ho- you hope like that they use Chenault as an every down receiver. There is no, there is I, I no, there is no evidence of that actually happening, by the way. You can't put me on the spot with this one because whatever I say, Peter Overset and Pat Grant are going to clip it out and brand me some sort of loser for not thinking Flavisca Chanel is the best thing since sliced bread. 
I don't know. I think we probably are. Too, we are too high on Chanel as a, a community. And I, I might be a part of that. I'm actually kind of adjusting some of my target shares now as we're talking about this. This is where I think it's just very tough. You reach a point in your draft too. It depends what type of draft you're in and how your team's constructed where I don't care if this guy's going to score more points than this guy on average. I'm just looking for the guy that if he hits, it's going to hit in a really big way. And I'm going to know to start him. And if he doesn't, I can find replaceable points when we start getting to maybe not quite at this point in the draft, but maybe a little bit later where I like a lot of the rookies where I can, you know, if they bust, I can just replace that production on the wire, you know, should I need to. And hopefully I already have enough wide receivers as an early wide receiver, heavy drafter that it doesn't matter too much if they bust, but if they break out, it matters in a big way. If you're asking me who's going to, have a better chance of breaking out between LaVisca Chanel and Marvin Jones. It's LaVisca Chanel. See, I don't think that's actually true. It's not like Marvin Jones can really break out at his age in some of the seasons that he's put up. But if we're just asking who has the higher ceiling, I still think it's Marvin Jones, just based on his touchdown upside. He has a great quarterback. Mm -hmm. He knows the system because they've brought over the offensive coordinator. And then all of a sudden you're looking at who has a better red zone presence. You might think it's Chanel, but it's not. Marvin Jones is legit in the red zone. Yeah, I think for me, it's that I do see a scenario where if Chanel, like he had a pretty good targets per out run, just didn't play a lot of snaps where, and I think the argument, the bear case would be, well, he's, he's not going to play as much as Marvin Jones because Marvin Jones is an every down wide receiver and LaVisca Chanel it's not. My case would be if LaVisca Chanel is an every down wide receiver, there's more ability for the target share to expand beyond what Marvin Jones is. And he might be a special player in terms of catch rate yards after the catch ability where he's consistently churning out like a lot of like six for 90 games and then like maybe in the end zone. But I, I'm, I'm, I'm altering my stuff. You've, you've made compelling points. I'm, I'm bringing them closer in, in the ETR ranks. All right. I, I'm going to just go with Marvin Jones. He is my preference here. I think he is going to be a good fantasy asset for you this year. Someone you can play as a wide receiver three if you decided not to go super wide receiver heavy or if you have injury. Like the difference between Marvin Jones and a waiver wire pickup this year, it might not happen for like the first two weeks or so. It might happen as the season matures a little bit, but he is someone that you're going to want to have. I don't think he's on this tier that we're talking about necessarily with Odell Beckham and Robbie Anderson, but I do think he's on the next one down. And I do think that he's going to be the the highest scoring Jacksonville receiver in a weak division with a bad defense with what is presumably going to be a very high passing rate. And he is someone that has been brought in by Urban Meyer to be a part of this team. And I do think that does reflect well upon him is that you have a brand new coach, you have a brand new coordinator. What do they do? They drafted a first round running back who does the same stuff Chenault does. And they went out and got Marvin Jones to play on the outside like that. That is telling, I think, in a way. Yeah, and I know we had a dip on the Chanel ADP for a little while post-draft when everyone was worried that the ATN was just going to completely take that role over. But it sounds like since then they've made some comments that indicate they're going to use him as a wide receiver and they've been impressed by him. So I don't know. We'll see how it shakes out. Chenault is currently being drafted ahead of the greatness that is Brendan Cooks, Antonio Brown, Will Fuller, Mike Williams, Michael Gallup, Jarvis Landry, Jalen Waddle, Michael Pittman, Nicole Hardman, Darnell Mooney, Corey Davis, Devontae Parker, like Marvin Jones, T.Y. Hilton, Rashad Bateman. I feel like he's on the low end of those guys, Mike. 
I don't know. I take him ahead of Bateman, but why but why why would you take mm. him ahead of Bateman? If we're talking about receivers in this range who could break out and potentially be drafted much, much All higher right, next ba- year, why isn't that Bateman with a banged up Hollywood Brown and a probably toast Sammy Watkins? Even if it is a low volume passing offense, like that's a situation where you hope they would pass more. But he seems like he could be their wide receiver one. Yeah, I've I mean I've moved Bateman up, but at the end of the day, I think the offenses are gonna operate so differently that Chenault's opportunity for targets is just going to be a lot higher than Bateman's. And I like Chenault's ability to break. Like, I think he's a very good receiver. I think he's a talented kind of unique player. So for me, it's two guys that have decent breakout profiles, but one is in a much better spot for fantasy than the other. And with Bateman, like you need him to be the wide receiver one and pretty clearly. So to carve out enough targets to be super fantasy relevant, Chenault, you know, he could be the wide receiver three and we'd be all right. You know? So I think there's a big difference there. What we need to happen. Like we, we don't need to be like with Bateman, we need to be right on a few things. Few things have to break the correct way with Chanel. I don't think that many things have to break the correct way. I think he just has to be good. Yeah. And I think that Bateman is good. And I do think that his scoring potential is much higher, but the big difference between these two guys is one is going 50 picks after the other one. You didn't say at ADP. You said straight up. Okay? I, I straight listen straight up. You want to take Bateman versus Chenault for another hundred bucks? I'll do that one straight up with you, and I'll even have fifty points of ADP between them. Okay, I'll do it. I will take Chenault over Bateman. This is fun. Chenault versus Pat Mayo is going to be a thing. It's hundred bucks. Yeah, hundred bucks. Let's go. Bateman, hundred bucks. I had to write that one down. Yeah, so I want to make sure that you know I get paid on these best when they eventually come through. But what a team I'm piling up here. Bateman and Brandon Cooks versus OBJ and Chenault. I just I just don't get the Chenault thing. It, it's been lost on me. And I know a lot of smart people really like him, but I just think they're enamored with the skill set more than what he can actually produce in this offense, especially. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think it's gone a little bit too far where at some point we have to face the reality of like what's likely going to happen. And that's where projections are helpful. And that's where I think you have to marry, you know, projections with other analysis. That's more, you know, who's going to break out and, but it can like that stuff can get pretty nebulous and that, and you can get into dangerous territory where you start not, you start talking yourself into things as more likely than they are. It's not that they isn't a possible outcome that, you know, the bull cases could occur, but we do have to have some grasp on the probability of that actually happening, which the projections help us with. So it's always good to have like a mix of those two methodologies. All right. We don't need to break this one down. I just want a one word answer for this one. Uh, Obviously, Brendan Cooks is solidified, like I said, at the very top of tier five for me. Robbie Anderson or Cortland Sutton? Robbie Anderson. Cortland Sutton or Debo Samuel? Debo Samuel. Debo Samuel or Brendan Ayuk? Ayuk. Cortland Sutton or Ayuk? Ayuk. Okay. Odell Beckham or Cortland Sutton? Odell Beckham. Odell Beckham or Brandon Ayuk? Reluctantly, Ayuk. Okay. I'm going to go Beckham over them because, I mean, I want to be able to cash in on your bet against me, if anything else. That leaves tier five. Cooks, Robbie Anderson, Debo Samuel, who I do like, Brendan. As we've talked this through, I actually like him better than Brandon Ayuk. 
Yeah, do I? Yeah, that one's going to be that one's going to change a few times over the course of the next few weeks, I think. So <laughs> Cooks, Anderson, Samuel, Beckham, Ayuk, Cortland Sutton, that will be tier 5. You want to hear about tier 6? You turn to part 2 of the show, which should be dropping either later on this week or early next week as we really hammer everything down. So just to go over the full rankings for everyone, of course you can just click on the link in the description and find them up on draftkingsplaybook.com, but here it is. And let me know if this sounds okay to you, Leone. Here it is. Devontae Adams, Tyreek Hill, Stefan Diggs, Calvin Ridley, Tier 1. Tier 2, Hopkins, Metcalf, Allen Robinson, Scorin, Terry, McLaurin, Keenan Allen, Justin Jefferson, and A.J. Brown. Tier 3, Lamb, Chase, Cooper, Amare Cooper, Cooper Cup, Robert Woods, Chris Godwin, Julio Jones, Adam Thielen, and Mike Evans. Tier 4, Deontay Johnson, T. Higgins, Tower Lockett, and D.J. Moore. Tier 5, Brennan, Too Many Cooks. Robbie Anderson, Debo Samuel, Odell Beckham, Brandon Ayuk, and Cortland Sutton. How's that sound to you? Sounds pretty good to me. I might go, you know, Jerry Judy over Sutton. Worried about the Sutton knee thing, but sounds pretty good. I'll continue to hear on reports, and that's why I'm doing updates so often. I'll go over the little micro parts of the rankings that I'm adjusting on those injury shows. So stay tuned to the Pat Mayo experience for that. Subscribe to Fantasy Football Picks and Bets. If you do the Apple podcast, you get in that cash giveaway, but it's also uh, part of a video version up on Mayo Media Network. So please subscribe to the channel and smash the like button while you're here. And as I said off the top, give me your favorite reach for receiver in drafts. And obviously my guy is Jamar Chase. Who would be your answer? It's probably Chenault, right? Who's like the best receiver in football, According to you? No, I'm not as high on Chanel as I think you think I am. Okay. My favorite reach for receiver. How many rounds do I have to reach for him? What do I said just basically I anyone I'm, I'm who any, any anyone who's like not top 15 ADP? I, I mean, I guess Debo Samuel. That's the receiver I have the most exposure to so far this year. So I'll go with Debo. All right, so I'm curious to hear what the peoples think about this one. RunTheSims.com, you put in your email, you get free access to the projections and the advanced stats hub, which is really cool to go and mess around with. But if you want the optimizer, game simulations, and betting tools, RunTheSims.com slash Mayo will get you a discount on that product. Michael Leone from EstablishTheRun.com, you tell the peoples what's going on with you. Yeah, check out all our stuff over at Establish the Run. We've got preseason package up. Adam Levitan's been waiting two years for this. I've got a bunch of best ball articles going on. I also posted a recent NFFC draft, their online championship that I did with Ben Gretsch, kind of talking through my process. And the draft kit's only $34.99. You get a credit to underdog with it. It's an incredible value. You can read all my stuff as well as Evan Silva, Adam Levitan, and the whole crew over there at ETR. All right, that will do it on the Pat Mayo Experience. Once again, check out the rankings in the description, subscribe to the podcast, and help us all out, and really tune in to Fantasy Football Picks and Bets. Uh, It's going to be a daily show very, very soon with a lot of interesting contributors, including myself. Thank you all for watching. I'll see you next time. Mayo Experience!